You're listening to Look at My Records. This is episode 210, and I'm your host, Tom Gallo. For this episode of Look at My Records, I chatted with Nils, James, and Connor of the New York City-based synth pop band VHS Collection. The veteran act has been bringing their infectious sound to rooms across the country for the better part of the last half decade. And in February, they shared their highly anticipated second full-length night drive. After finding a ton of success as an independent band, the trio signed with the Tiger Tone imprint for the release of Night Drive, teaming up with renowned producer Tony Hoffer. During the interview, the band dished on all things Night Drive, including what it was like working with Hoffer and the challenges that came with putting the record out during the pandemic. Plus, they shared a bit about their origins as fish heads at boarding school, the concept that inspired the sound and vibe of Night Drive, what went into their decision to work with the label after being a successful independent band for so long, and much more. Plus, they picked some awesome records from my collection, including some choice cuts from The Police, Nas, and LCD Sound System. We'll dive into our interview right after the jump. If you're interested in hearing more episodes of Look at My Records, they're available on all streaming platforms. Please remember to rate, review, like, and subscribe on your platform of choice. I also encourage you to check out the Look at My Records website, where you can find reviews, premieres of new music, playlists, and a whole lot more. Check it out at lookatmyrecords.com. I'm here with VHS Collection. Their highly anticipated second full-length Night Drive is out now via Tiger Bomb Records. I'm here with James, Nils, and Connor. How are you doing today? Doing great. Doing great. Doing great. great. Happy to be here. Awesome. So why don't you... Each just take a second to introduce yourselves since there's three of you on this call and just what you play in the band. I'm James Bohannon and I sing in the band. Um, Connor Cook. I play guitar in the band and uh, do, do a bit of production too. I'm Nils. Um, I play keys and do a little production as well. Cool. So VHS Collection, you've been a band as VHS Collection for about a half dozen years. Uh, you've played some big gigs. You've developed a pretty dedicated following. But before this band even started, the three of you have known each other for a really long time, it seems. So I'd love to talk about your origins, playing music together you know, kids stuff between the three of you, fun stuff like that. So what were some of the projects, collaborations between the three of you that predated VHS Collection and how'd the three of you initially meet? Sure. 
So we, we, all, we all go way back to some degree. So Connor and I lived across the street from each other in New York City. And we went to the same school starting very early on. So we were pals. And I don't think we were playing a lot of music back in the day. But, you know, we were pals and we were neighbors and, and, and all that. And our brothers were friends and just sort of neighborhood kids running around. Um, we both were sort of on our own musical journeys, I imagine. Probably didn't even know that we were, we were on them. I mean, I started learning guitar in like third grade. Um, but, you know, I wasn't, it, for me, it was always a thing I did on my own. It was like my own thing. And, uh, and yes, that's when I met Connor. I met Nils in high school and I walked into a room and it was a, it was a school in Connecticut where you stayed. It was a boarding school. And I walked in and like, he had this like white Dan Electro guitar and I was trying to figure out this song and he just like shredded. What was the solo it was, Nils? Was it, it was the guitar solo <laughs> to, to yeah, down. It, it was a fish song. Um, was it waste? It was something. It was like a. He played this song like so perfectly, and it was like his like. You know, we were both brand new at the school. I was like, "What's up, dude? You want to be my pal?" And uh, and 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 we've been pals ever since. Yeah, and we we had a band. We had a band at Kent um, called the Curfew Refugees, <clears throat> and a lot of those early songs that were written on guitar, like acoustic guitar, ended up becoming. VHS songs, which is cool. Wow. So how did that happen? Because you mentioned, James, that Nils was playing a fish riff, something that to me as a layperson, I wouldn't associate with the sound of VHS collection at all. And now nope. you kind of coalesced behind this, uh, around this like great synth sound. How'd those songs that were written on acoustic guitar uh, become kind of the more synth-driven songs that you heard on your debut record. Well, the biggest secret of the band is that we're, like, we're, we're secretly like fish heads. We're not supposed to tell anybody. <laughs> but the three of us is, anyone that's deep in, in the podcasting and hearing this, like we really started all liking jam band music. Yeah. Agree. And like, you know, obviously origins in classic rock originally. Yeah. We just went through that phase. And then I think as we are musical tastes matured beyond that and we started actually writing ourselves and 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 uh liking more modern music i think that's where we where, where we went and and kind of probably there was a period of time i think for for all of us just individually just kind of where we grew up where we went to school um high school and college kind of late high school and college where a lot of the a lot of the kids who were like really into music were were into fish and yeah. and then a lot of those kids were were then kind of like going and trying to learn instruments um and a lot of that early learning was around like trying to learn fish songs and playing with your friends so it was this whole weird thing where everyone's kind of obsessed with it um which i think is unique to like the northeast um so yeah we, we were all kind of like doing that separately um and, you know, we had we had totally other musical interests before that, you know, growing up in, in middle school and then, you know, and then later, obviously. Um, but it's this like weird common thread that I think um, we all had. 
Um, many years later, when we started actually writing songs and, and getting into you know producing records, um, you know, fish fish was not really something we were referencing. We were trying to yeah. make totally different types of records, but it's just funny that we all we all kind of love this like crazy quirky band with so much history. Um, but yeah, so when we start to, to answer your, your, your earlier question, um, we were actually a live band before we learned to record. Um, so we were just playing shows for our friends. So we started out playing like a, a cover band sat at a party um, that went pretty poorly, but we, we decided to just kind of continue and um, started to take some, some songs that James had written on the acoustic guitar and put them in this live setting. And we were just playing these little clubs in New York and, you know, our friends would come and then, you know, two weeks later, we'd, you know, pass out another flyer, put something up on Instagram and, um, you know, more people would come and it was, you know, it was all original music for the most part at that point. Um, but it was definitely like a party kind of thing. We were inviting people to a party. Um, and we kept doing that for a while, kept developing this set. Um, and I think we, we might've sold out Mercury Lounge before we even um, recorded anything. I think, or before we really released any music. And before we had any original music, like we were playing, we were a cover band. Like no, really I think we were, we were only a cover band for that first show. Then we were, we were playing originals, but they were not yeah. properly arranged, really. They were just us figuring shit out. And then we said, okay, we got this set of tunes. You know, it was like much more guitar driven. There were some keys, but it was very rough. But there was some sort of magic that people, you know, were attracted to, were into. Um, and then we basically said, okay, let's, let's go to the studio. Let's find a producer. We don't really know how to record ourselves. Um, we, were, we were messing around with Logic, actually. We were making Logic yeah. demos, but we really didn't know what we were doing. Um, so we, we hired this producer named Abe Seaforth in New York, and he had this little studio in Brooklyn. And he was like, all right, we're going to do... Um, transmitter. Tra yeah, uh, yeah, trans uh, transmitter? Transmitter? Something like that. Transmitter Park. Transmitter Park. <laughs> in the Polish neighborhood of Greenpoint, New York. We had, we had been that first big Polish before. meal that we got. And we, but it was we like, out for a big borscht, a big borscht in a bread bowl. And Abe, oh man, meal yeah. of champions, dude. It was Seriously. great. Abe was like, we were so green. We were like, dude, we played a couple party shows. We don't know what we're doing. They say we need a couple like recordings that we could pass around. But and we had these, kind of like, we had these logic, dem we had logic demos. Yeah, and we were, you know, we were writing like synth riffs and stuff in Logic, and a lot of those riffs that we produced in Logic ended up, you know, staying in the records. So we had this idea. We were we were really into LCD sound system, Hot Chip. Um, we kind of wanted to be like this live electronic band, but not really too like EDM. Um, we wanted to be more kind of indie. Yeah. And Abe had Abe had worked on LCD sound system stuff before. Um, we had a drummer who had drummed in Hot Chip, who played on the record. Um, so that was kind of like our entryway to to recording. And he kind of took these very rough ideas and helped us, you know, turn them into songs. And um, in some ways, they turned out the way we expected. In some ways, they didn't. Um, but you know, we got into this idea of recording live synths, recording, you know 
live instruments and drums and things on the tracks. Um, and yeah, that's kind of where, where the sound started. Yeah. Those, those first sets sessions seem like a real like turning point for the band. Would you look at it as kind of the same way where this is what really launched everything for you? Or was it still something a little further off than that? When we put those songs out, two things happened. We actually were, were opening for another band um, at Babies All Right in Brooklyn. And this this booker, uh, he's not really a booker. He actually owns um, a big entertainment company. This guy, Charles Atoll saw us and thought the band was good and he booked us for Lollapalooza and Austin City Limits just based on the live show and then a couple months after that we put out our first EP um, and we had an article in Consequence of Sound and then we had a song go to number seven on the viral charts so those two things happened kind of simultaneously and then that really kind of lit a fire under our ass and we were like all right we're playing Lollapalooza we got a song that's on the viral charts let's make another record, write it, record it, and put it out before Lollapalooza, which is in like four months. And to <laughs> us, that seemed like a long time. Now we're like, we've, we've been Yeah, like that's like no time in music recording a record uh, con con concept of time. But it must have been cool to go into something like that with no real preconceived notions of, you know, what it takes to make a record or like how long it really takes. So what was that experience like for you going into recording your debut record with that deadline set and really, you know, just kind of really green, as you had mentioned, James? I mean, stereo hype, we were we were still in this mode of like emailing emailing producers, like looking up, you know, what what records different producers had done and kind of hitting them up and sending them our demos. And, um, you know, I would look up like, you know, okay, this producer produced this record. All right, look up his management company, just cold e email them, send them a bunch of demos. They're like, we're playing Lollapalooza. Will you please, you know, help us record these songs? Um, we'd get turned down a ton. Um, and then, you know, some people were, you know, some people took us in. So this guy, Ben Allen, agreed to record with us in, in Atlanta. Um, we recorded a couple songs with this guy, Carlos de la Garza in LA. Uh, we recorded a song at the bunker in New York, with John Davis. So we were kind of like Chris Zane too in London. No, that was, that was, that was, the, next, the, next that was the next one. Yeah. Come on, Nils. <laughs> get, the, get the facts straight. Get the record straight. But we were, futurism. we were like begging these guys yeah, to, right. to produce our songs and they would agree and then we'd say, all right, we're going to, we'll be there for a week or 10 days and we'd show up and record and then we'd leave. Um, and then we assembled like seven songs. We're like, all right, this is good enough for, you know, the next body of work, put that out. Um, no label, no management, but put it out, had some more songs in the viral charts. Um, we were touring then too, and, you know, that was very up and down. Like we'd play pretty good show in New York. Then we'd go to Chicago and there'd be like five people there. Um, so I don't know. There's a lot, there's a lot going on. And to talk about night drive now, it's kind of a concept record meant to soundtrack an evening drive. It's kind of built around that concept. Whereas your 
previous two records didn't really have an overarching concept like that. What specifically inspired that concept for this new album? I, I think we wanted to do a record, as Connor described, you know, the first record, Stereo Hype, was kind of pieced together. And, you know, we loved the record, but it was kind of like done all over the place. It was really just a collection of songs. Retrofuturism, the, the second, or really the first full length, yeah. was was more of a was more of a record record. Everything was sort of consistent, but we really wanted for this one to do like a consistent body that felt like it lived in the same universe. And it wasn't that we wanted to do like a thematic. Um, a, 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 you know, a, like a, like a concept record, but we just wanted it to be like the same vibe, a lot of the same sounds. We wanted it to feel like it belonged together. Um, so we knew that going in, like that was sort of our main thing. We're like, we want we want to use pretty much the same producers. Producers. We want it to be in the same world, if you will, and for this record, and like keep it all like kind of consistent and clean. And then we went into that. Like that was the goal, and then and and then we did sort of you know the normal years of of writing and collecting music, and I'd say the songs had their had like a similar, you know, vibe. There was ones that were a little darker and a little lighter, and it had all the ebbs and flows that a that a that a record should. But it felt like the same kind of body of work. I think we wanted we wanted it overall to be a little more like serious and in, in, in the tone. Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit darker than some of our previous stuff. And then, you know, the, the lighter kind of more majory key, key wise, you know, sonically songs are still a little bit more serious and like heartfelt. Um, I think we had kind of a mix on our previous records of like super serious songs and then kind of like silly songs. And, um, we were just trying to do it a little bit differently this time. So. And then the, the theme of, of Night Drive was like, you know, we wanted something that was like, the first two album names were kind of this like tech throwback thing because we, we, we like the idea of kind of like old technology. Like we're not really technology enthusiasts by any means, but we do like to use a lot of like 80s 90s inspired synthesizers and things like that done in a new way so we liked kind of the mix of the old and the new and I, I like the concept retrofuturism that title fit that perfectly stereo hype was a little of that vein too and i think for this record we wanted to step outside of that a little bit and just have like a fresh approach and even the artwork like we used photographs yeah for the artwork for the first time so we just wanted to take a, a slight step out of the out of what we had done before and the name which connor suggested just seemed really really simple and really fitting for for us as a band and for the time like that we were in like it was obviously you know we didn't want like it was a it was a COVID era album and like we didn't want to speak to that too much yeah like we don't want not to play too on that. the nose yeah not too on the nose but at the same time the car you know really becomes this like sort of pr protective vessel 
and we were spending a lot of time in LA, particularly in Los Angeles. Like the car is where you are safe and where you can be in your own little world and, and you can have your own adventure and experience there, you know, listening to music, et cetera. And it's where you listen to some of your best music. I mean, it's where we all, all do over the years. And so it kind of became this cool concept. Yeah, I'm curious about the process of putting this record specifically together, uh, considering how the three of you go about writing and recording music. I read in an interview a couple of years ago, where from a couple of years ago, where you had mentioned that you wind up throwing out a lot of songs, fully formed songs that you've written, and they just don't wind up being released at all. And just talking to a lot of bands and artists, at least recently for me, I hear from a lot of people that kind of try to salvage everything, even if it's a piece of a song to kind of take to something else. So I thought it was interesting that you guys do really vet your songs and are really meticulous about what you want to show to the world as far as a complete, fully finished song and that there are songs that you've written completely finished that I guess don't make the cut. So how did you go about putting this record together, considering the fact that you wanted to capture kind of an overall Night Drive vibe? Yeah, I mean, the Night Drive vibe wasn't fully established, like from the from the onset from the of the get-go, writing, yeah. writing. It's kind of something we arrived at, I would say, middle, late, but um you know yeah we have this mindset of like okay we're just gonna go out and write a bunch of songs and and put them in the hopper and that almost takes a little bit of the pressure off the writing session you know because you're just like okay i'm just here i'm just here to write a song get it done you know as good as possible and then put it in the pile and then kind of you know take some time away from it and come back and reflect so it's it's just helpful, yeah, it's helpful in the writing process to do that. And it's obviously helpful to be able to like pick your best from you know a large collection of tunes. Um, so we did that first, and you know we probably had a hundred songs on the list because you know there were songs that we had actually turned down um, for the previous record, which are on this record. And you know, I think those are awesome songs. I think uh, Space Between Us was a contender for the previous record. And anyway was also a contender. We had the party written, you know, the party was written like <laughs> over a decade ago. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, the other songs were kind of written in, in this in this round. Um, but I think there were a couple tunes that clearly fit this this sonic and like uh, you know this sonic zone that we were going for, and 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 it kind of fit the messaging, like songs like the dark and the deep end. Um, they felt kind of right down the fairway for what we were trying to do. And then, you know, we kind of argue about the quality. Mostly it's, it's just kind of arguing about like the quality of the songs. Yeah. I feel like more so than saying this is a night drive track. Um, and then a lot of that, a lot of the sonic crafting, you know, happens a bit more in, in like the production um, area where we can bend things from a little bit more like electronic and a little bit more rock or whatever but you know i think we also we didn't want to do like a fully i think when you hear the the term night drive you might expect like a kavinsky type 
album or something, something that's like totally um, retro 80s. Um, and obviously that's part of our sound, but that's not our entire sound. So Night Drive has a mix of this kind of like rock electronic thing and, and the 80s kind of thing as well. What about for a song like Space Between Us? <clears throat> you just mentioned you had originally written for the sessions for your last record, uh, Retro Futurism. How much does a song like that change since that record came out, you know, four years ago at this point, and now it's on this record. So it's a song you wrote, you know, almost five years ago. How much has a song like that changed to the song that we hear now on Night Drive from when you originally wrote it? Um, so the vocals, you know, the chorus was all the same. The first verse was the same. We didn't have a second verse, so we had to write a second verse. Um, and then we actually produced like two different versions of the track. The first one we didn't really like that much. Um, and then the second one, yeah, just um, I ended up finishing that one in my studio and just spending a lot of time on like the little details. Um, and the production's the production's quite different. I mean, the first one, the first one didn't you know the chords were kind of there, the tempo was kind of there. Um, the driving nature of the this kind of like a chill electronic track was there, but none of the guitar parts were written. Um, you know, so there was probably a week of, of messing with the song and messing with different production ideas. You know, this synth part goes there, that guitar part goes there. You know, tried 10 different versions of the guitar part, see which one fits. Um, so yeah, I mean, you could listen to the first one and be like, okay, I get it. But, you know, the fully realized version has, you know, it's, it's a lot more impressive, hopefully. Yeah, that's cool because as time goes on, you know, you're exposed to so many different things that may influence you. You've worked on many other songs in the studio from the time that you originally wrote that song to now you're back in the studio putting out a record. So I'm sure there's so many new ideas that come to mind of what you could do uh, with a song that you had previously written you know, four or five years ago. Yeah, the demos, you know, the demos usually are done in like four or five hours and they're done in this kind of sprint and you try to get excited and pumped up and, you know, get as much into the track as possible. And then when you're producing a track, you're stepping back and like evaluating it and being like, okay, what are the things we want to like, you know, take out of the track? What are the things we really want to like bring out? Um, sometimes we'll look at references and be like, all right, this, this song kind of sounds like this, but it could sound a little bit more like that. And, um, I mean, that's, you know, it's a really fun part of producing. We kind of do that across the whole record. So. Totally. And you worked with Tony Hopper on this record. You're also, uh, the record's been released on his new ish imprint, uh, Tiger Tone Records. How'd you connect with him and what was it like working with him on this album? We connected with him. We did we did a couple songs off the first record with him. Uh, sorry, off yeah, the first full length, Retro Futurism with him. And I forget how we met him, but we knew that he had mixed some of our favorite songs and produced some of our favorite songs out there. So we were pretty pumped to be working with someone of his caliber. And I remember when we were prepping for those sessions, his attention to detail was sort of unlike anything we'd ever seen. He had this method of going 
sort of line by line with the lyrics and and making sure every just every piece like he really sort of cared and had a lot of attention to detail and you know we had a good experience and we, we just thought you know to do a whole record with this guy would be really exciting and we had a good personal relationship with him and so when they presented the idea of his imprint and doing something with us we were pretty pumped about it yeah he's also been instrumental in so many great records over the last 20 25 years you know not just by bands that are you know kind of have an electronic synth sound like m83 and phoenix but i know he did work on beck's midnight vultures one of in my opinion one of the most underrated records of the last like 25 years and i know he's worked on several albums by the kooks so his repertoire his background in producing mixing records is really diverse i'd say was that something that drew you to him that kind of diversity in the types of records he's worked on because i know you guys really value that in your sound yeah i mean you know we wanted someone who could do kind of rock but also do electronic and and kind of someone who had sensibilities for both and had an int- you know genuine interest in in both genres um and there's you know there's a couple guys out there who who do it but tony um you know he definitely has passion for like the the quality indie alt electronic rock stuff that's out there um but he also you know he wants to make stuff that's um going to be commercially viable too you know i think at, at this point we maybe have moved away a little bit from like the LCD type vibe and, and try to go for a sound that is a little bit more polished. So, and I know for retro futurism and stereo hype, you worked with several different producers over the course of the tracks on those records for this record. You worked with one producer solely. How do you think that shaped basically the end product of how this record sound? And do you, do you think it was a, a positive thing for the band to work with only one producer on this record instead of kind of putting something together more piecemeal. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it definitely had an impact. Um, the, the pandemic definitely screwed with our plans to, you know, in terms of how we wanted to achieve that. I mean, you know, we wanted to do everything in like a six week period and just record the whole album with one person. Um, we ended up getting, a version of that, but you know, there were still lots of things that were done separately just because of the nature of the pandemic. So like a lot of stuff was recorded, you know, in my studio, a lot of stuff was recorded in New York at, at the bunker. And so there were like files that were being, you know, chucked around on, on different tracks, but, um, having that one person, you know, be kind of the, you know, the mixer finisher, um, is definitely helpful. And, you know, we were, we were, were able to spend a couple of weeks in Tony's studio recording the bulk of the album. Um, so that was great, but, um, it didn't go, it didn't go as planned because of the pandemic. Like, you know, it got stretched out over like this really long period of time that we didn't anticipate. Um, but if you compare it to retrofuturism, you know, we had, we worked a lot with Chris Zane, um, in London, 
We did um, a song with Ryland Blackington. We did a song with John Davis in New York. Zane. Ryland and Tony. So there were like four, four different producers, four different studios, um, four kind of different processes. So this one felt more cohesive. And I think we, we generally like that, um, but there's pros and cons to both. I mean, you know, you hear a lot of, I think it's great to have like one mixer, but um, you end up having different collaborators and different tracks anyway, just in terms, you know, a lot of the, the producing and writing are like mixed. Um, but yeah, it was cool. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how we'll do the next one. So another thing I noticed is your first record, uh, Retro Futurism, first full length, uh, really, I felt very high energy throughout throughout this one is a little less so at certain points. Uh, I was reading in another interview from a couple of years ago, you described your music as high energy, best experienced in the live setting. Uh, did you bring that same intention to making this record or were you kind of focused on different things as far as what you wanted your music to sound like? It's a good question. I think, you know, we haven't played a show in a long time. Yeah. Um, I think we always want to be able to play our, our songs live, and we do think about that. Like, we want a really good set. It's very important. I wouldn't say it directs our every move. Um, but, like, yeah, it's, 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 it's maybe, maybe, you know, we're just, we were less focused on that probably for this record. But it's definitely something we think about when, when we write and think about how things are going to be presented live. And, um, I think this record will be interesting. Some of the songs are like a no brainer. They're going to be super easy to play live and they're definitely just going to rock yeah. and it's going to be awesome. And then some of the songs, I don't know, might be a little tricky to figure out, but yeah, I'm specifically thinking of the party. The last track on this record really kind of stands out from many of the songs that you've released before yeah. on any of your records or singles it's a, a real wind down track i found which i thought was such an appropriate way to end a record called night drive um, <laughs> and it sounds like it's com it completely acoustic too it sounds like so definitely yeah. a very different way to end a record when compared with fade out from retro futurism which i think ends that record on like a real energetic high this is kind of like a wind down track yeah yeah we 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 were we were pumped to do that song we knew it was a little outside the box but we're like okay this is our you know this is our second full length our third record we can now be a little more comfortable with ourselves to yeah. to experiment a little bit and do some stuff i mean we we write a lot of tunes on acoustic guitars. We like, we like stripped down stuff, you know? So like, we didn't want to limit ourselves. Okay. Everything has to have a four on the floor with a, you know, a synth pad, yeah. et cetera. And, um, that was like, a, just a tune we kind of always liked and, and, and wanted to do something with it. And we're like, let's just see kind of how it feels to put, put an acoustic stripped down song at the end. And then, you know, I actually thought about too on that one, like the live show, it would be kind of cool to have one that's just like a stripped down song. You know what I mean? And this is more like, 
sort of like in the old school live show where you've got like the big rock band that kind of like comes in a cappella for like a more, you know, stripped down tune, sing along would be kind of cool. Yeah. What do you think of that track? It's a. What do you think of that? Yeah. It's a polarizing track. It's a polarizing track. It's cool to. I thought great way to end the record in particular, given the way the rest of the record sounds. I like it a lot. I, I was happy to see it there at the end. So I dig it. I think a really good choice by the band to include that on the record and All put right. it as the last track. So I wanted to ask you about a couple of other songs on the record. Survive, I thought a really powerful track and thematically seems to take things to another level. What inspired uh, that song? Nils? Uh, Survive <clears throat> is a song that we wrote on a trip to Nashville. It was the genesis of the song. Um, we were writing with some musician friends of ours. It started out on acoustic. Um, and then the lyric, Survive, came out as kind of a great title. And we continued to flesh it out from there and focused really hard on the lyrical content, making sure the lyrics were, were great. Um, and then we brought it to Tony, and he thought the lyrics were fantastic and the theme was really great. And we transferred it from acoustic to more of a VHS sound. And that's, that's pretty much the journey of the song. Yeah, it wasn't really high on our list originally for the record. Um, and then Tony was really excited about it and convinced us to, to try to kind of like reinvent it sonically. So, uh, tell me about the dark, yeah. similarly serious track. And it was influenced by the movie drive. So what about that film inspired that song? So that was written on the eve of the pandemic. And, um, literally I think it was. You know, we wrote that song and James got on a flight literally oh, yeah. that afternoon. It was like the the last flight last home. flight out of Escape from LA, you know? <laughs> and so yeah, so it was this it was this eerie kind of time. And we had written a bunch of songs in that trip, a bunch of really like synthy kind of you know, songs that, that sounded like this. I think we wrote the deep end the day before. Um, just a great two days. And so we were, we were just getting into that vibe of, you know, what is our classic VHS thing? That's this synthy, dark synthy goodness with a little bit of guitar. And, um, you know, I think that, uh, we were talking about movies and we were talking about it's probably less less cool. I mean, I don't know. I think I think Fight Club's like one of the great one of the great movies. I don't know if it's less cool than than Drive, but um, we were talking about like that scene in Fight Club where like all the uh, buildings collapse at the end. We had that idea in our mind. We were talking about the movie Drive, and um, the song flowed pretty quickly. Um, I had like some ideas for that for the chord progression. Um, that I had taken from a, a completely different tune that was not even in the genre. Um, but we kind of started with that like bass arp, that like hangs on that one chord longer than the other. Um, and it was like one of those kind of 
lightning speed writing sessions where like a lot of stuff just came out in like three or four hours. Um, but then we were racing to get the vocals finished because James had to get on a flight. And uh, there was, yeah, th this whole pandemic thing was definitely like in the back of our minds. You know, we were like, yeah. we were getting ready to kind of run for cover. And um, I don't know, that, that concept of like sitting in your, in your house or your, your bedroom in safety and like watching the world, you know, fall apart around you was top of mind. Yeah. It was a cool two days though. It was like, sometimes for us, we have these little, you know, we'll pound our head against the wall for three weeks on one song. And then other times it'll just sort of flow out in these spurts. And that was two separate days that we worked with, with, with this other guy out there is awesome. Simon. And, uh, you know, Connor and I were out there and we just banged out these two songs and we were like, we were pumped. On them. Yeah. And, uh, we definitely spent a lot of time, you know, we'll, we'll go like rent a cabin somewhere and like a, for a writing retreat and it'll just go, go horribly. Like we won't get any good <laughs> songs. And then, you know, randomly you'll just stumble upon these like kind of super inspired sessions and, um, that's just why you gotta almost just schedule the time and just put in the work because you never really know like when it's gonna work and when it's not. I wish I could say, I'd, you know, I'm sure there's some songwriters who like write a great song every time, but doesn't doesn't work the way for us. Totally. And one more question before we transition to the record part: You three found a lot of success while staying independent. Uh, now you're with a label. Uh, what made you finally decide that this was the right label and partnership to work with after uh, remaining independent for so long and finding so much success uh, as an independent? So how has it been different? Well, I mean, we did everything ourselves. We built up a fan base ourselves. Um, we felt like we reached a ceiling in terms of how far the records could, could go. We, we didn't really have a budget for videos. We didn't have a budget for radio. Um, you know, money from streaming was going to tour or going to, you know, producing more songs. Um, so, you know, there was a decent advance and that, that was basically allotted to create the record and promote the record. Um, you know, we knew Tony, we met the folks at Pias. They were clearly passionate about, you know, our genre. Um, they weren't really, you know, chasing the next big, like, trap artist or something yeah. like that. Um, so we felt like we wouldn't be shunned. Um, and we just thought, let's, let's give it a shot. Um, yeah. You know, let's see if these guys can help us to, you know, we weren't experts in like the music industry. None of us worked in the music industry before. Um, so we figured like, if we want to take a shot at, you know, getting a big single, there's kind of two options. Like either you're an independent artist and you come up with a couple hundred grand to, you know, promote the shit out of a song, um, or you go to the label and they, they help you or you, I don't know, or maybe the third option is you just do it yourself and, and, your music really resonates with people. Um, and, you know, the money is completely irrelevant. Um, 
but yeah, we're, we're trying it and um, the record's just out. So we're, we're really excited to see if they can kind of get it to a broader audience. Totally. Sounds like it's the right place, right people, right time. So that's awesome. And it's cool that the record is now out there in the world for everyone to enjoy. Speaking of the record, we're going to play some songs from it now. We're going to hear three songs from Night Drive, The Dark, Survive, and Searching for the Light. And then we'll be back to talk about some records that the band selected.
just heard three songs from VHS Collection's brand new album, Night Drive. We heard The Dark, Survive, and Searching for the Light. Everyone, the album is out now via Tiger Tone Records. It's available on all streaming platforms. All right. So you picked some records. We're going to talk about them. You picked some awesome records, by the way. We're going to start with The Police, Outlands D'Amore, the legendary trio's debut album selected by Connor. Obviously features probably their most well-known song, Roxanne, but also a lot of classics and personal favorites of mine, like Next to You, Truth Hits Everybody, and Peanuts. Really high-energy record, so really glad you picked this one, uh, Connor. Tell me a little bit about why you selected this one. Um, so the Police are are one of those bands. I think they're obviously timeless, um, and you know I think their their style of being like high energy and and kind of like rhythmic, but but kind of staying like a little bit light and. You know, it's a little bit, it's kind of pop, but it, but it still has this like really cool, like, um, I wouldn't say grittiness, but just like realness to it. Um, obviously the songwriting and the melodies and, you know, each, each player's individual parts just stand out and fit so well. Um, big, big fan of the, uh, big fan of the guitar parts in, in the police and kind of that approach, just kind of clean and, you know always heard but like never really you know cranked up with a lot of distortion um a lot of chorus on the guitar it's yeah just just been a big fan um of the police forever there's one song on there uh so lonely great um, track i discovered great track. that yeah i discovered that so i think james and i were hanging out maybe that summer there was one summer kind of in high school or college probably early college where that was definitely the song of the summer. And it yeah. was, you know, we were just playing that, like every time you're in the car, you're playing so lonely at a party, playing so lonely. That was like the the tune. Um, and so, you know. Which is kind of I funny because you just said anytime we're at a party, we were playing so lonely. What a great <laughs> example of like a cool, you know, a party track, but so lonely. But, it, but that song has all these different. Uh, I got to go back and listen to it again. But it has all these different sections where it like isn't it, there's that end section where it where yeah it, like the the beat jacks up. I don't know exactly what it does. It goes like double time or something. Um, but it's a good. It's kind of like a good pump up track. It's a good sing along tune. Just repeats so lonely, so lonely, so lonely, so lonely. Like how good how good is that? It just kicks off so well. Have you ever seen the music video too? It's like Sting is such a stud. Total stud. And it's just like so badass, so well dressed. It's like it's like a reggae beat right off the the bat. Next, you picked Little Secrets by Passion Pit, a song that features backing vocals from the 
PS22 chorus on Staten Island, uh, which is a school my mom worked at. So good song selection, dude. Yeah, so <clears throat> Passion Pit was definitely an influence of ours. Um, I think he's probably about our age, but he definitely started, you know, putting out putting out hits well before us. And um, very reminiscent of my kind of my 20s. Um, Me too. Me too. College. Yeah. College. Same. Like late college or something, we, we kind of discovered Passion Pit. And those like wacky synth lines were just, they were like something I'd never heard before. Um, Sleepyhead. They were like so creative and just totally unique. And um, we ended up having the uh, the great fortune of working with Mr. Chris Zane um, wow. on, on Retrofuturism. And that was largely because uh, Chris had worked with Passion Pit. And he produced that song. Um, so we were... We were like thrilled to work with him because, you know, those were some of our, our most like inspirational favorite favorite songs in terms of, you know, contemporaries of ours. Um, and Chris, uh, yeah. What, a, what a, I mean, Chris, he was always like, <laughs> so I was like, yeah, passionate stuff. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. And we were like, <laughs> we were like, no, it's fucking amazing. Like, so what was that like going into the studio with someone, you know, you clearly really admired early in your career? Because I'm sure now, you know, you guys have been through a lot. You've played big shows. You've worked with a lot of different people. But that sounds like a little earlier on to work with someone that produced so many of your favorite artists. What was that like initially? I'd say we were a little... Not starstruck, but just kind of like, whoa, this is the big time. We actually yeah. went to the, to the UK to record with this guy. So it just felt really like, okay, we're, you know, we're sort of like in the next level of, yeah. of this, of this thing. Like we're, we're, we sent him demos a couple times and, and, and he turned us down. Um, and you know, the demos were probably pretty bad. And so we, we sent him a couple songs he was like, no, I don't, I don't think this is for me. Then we wrote a bunch of other songs um, and then sent them to him again. So I don't remember which round it was, you know, the second or third round where he finally agreed. But he had been this New York producer. He, you know, he did St. Lucia, he did Passion Pit, he did Penguin Prison, all these New York kind of East Coast bands. Um, but then by the time he agreed to work with us, he'd moved to London. Um, and we were like, we can't go to London to record. Then we found these cheap flights on Norwegian Airlines, and we were like, "All right, got a free place in London. Let's let's give it a shot." We were so tired from flying over there that we'd all like pass out in the studio first couple days. Chris would be just like working away on the track, but um, no, it was it was awesome working with him. I mean, super talented and just like a you know funny funny dude and. Um, we got to go out and record in the countryside of, of England at uh, this really nice studio for a couple days. That was really cool and special. Um, so yeah, definitely enjoyed
and then if I've ruled the world by Nas, a 12 inch single that I play when I DJ. I love this song. I love the collab with Lauren Hill as well on this track. <clears throat> yeah, so I had to, I, I, I saw a bunch of hip hop records in your collection. So I had to pick one. Um, there were a couple others that I was that I was considering, but again, this this kind of takes me back to like middle school. Um, kind of listened to a lot of hip hop in you know probably seventh, eighth, ninth grade before I got into to jam bands and whatnot. Um, but you know we are from New York, so got a shout out to Nas, and uh, this is one of my favorites. Love the collaboration with Lauren Hill. My other favorite is The Message. Um, but um, it's cool to see, you know, Nas is still an active, uh, you know, part of the music scene in many in many ways. Um, so it's just cool to see this guy, like, continue to do his thing. And, um, with diamond yeah. rolls, your people holding dough, no parole, no rubbers. Going raw, imagine law with no undercovers. Just some thoughts for the mind. I take a glimpse into time, watch the blimp read, the world is mine. If I rule the world, imagine that. I free all my sons. I love them, love them, baby. All right. Nails. Two. 12-inch singles, two excellent 12-inch singles that you selected. Rock With You by Michael Jackson. Classic song and probably my favorite Michael Jackson song. So thanks for picking it. Yeah. Yeah, big fan of this song and of the whole off-the-wall record. Um, it was kind of... It was MJ's first solo record after leaving Jackson 5, right? Um, produced by Quincy Jones and like I just love the, the dancey elements of it and the fact that it's live instruments along with Quincy Jones's like string arrangements are very cool and it's just a great song one and then you also picked tribulations by lcd sound system a band that we've brought up several times over the course of the last hour yeah that song i mean i just love the synth sound on it um <laughs> like the baseline the baseline synth sound is very reminiscent of the baseline synth sound that i wrote on the dark um, it wasn't an intentional, you know, it was definitely inspirational for that song, kind of the driving synthy bass line. Um, and the rest of the analog synths are fantastic. Obviously a huge inspiration. Right now, James. 
first up night after night by the sounds do you know this track tom great song i love it Woo! this is a honey of a tune i i was walking yesterday and it came on and i forgot how meaningful this song was to me in college for some reason and it's just like such a simple ballad and like, you know, done by an indie band. And the girl's voice is just, I mean, there's two girls that, that sing it. It's really two like vocals. There's a really strong harmony. It opens with just a piano. And it's just like this ballad. But like, I just sort of like fell in love with it all over again. And I forgot how much it meant to me. Um, and it's just such a great song. And the lyrics are so simple. It's like, night after night, I say I move on, and then I don't. You know what I mean? It's just like, relatable, it's just a great song. And, and I just love it. Salad Days by Mac DeMarco off of Salad Days, his awesome 2014 album. Yeah, so this this is the Connor likes Mac DeMarco and is always is referenced him a few times. I I didn't realize that he had actually sung this song. This was a song that had just been on playlists of mine for years, and it's just like such a such a quirky, almost comedic song. And like great example of like songs don't have, you know, they don't have to take themselves so seriously. They can have a lot of character. They can almost be like a movie or a show, like just have like a, a tone and a feel where it's like, you know, and the guy's kind of talking throughout it and it's just like almost using an accent and just like a f fun, cool, unique song. And then last but not least, Fake Plastic Trees by Radiohead off of 1995's The Bends. Yeah, this is, um, this one is just heart-wrenchingly good. And uh, not a huge Radiohead fan, but this, like they've got like four songs for me, which are, which are just so unbelievably good. Like I get, I get the whole radio thing. Um. And um, the lyrics are just, you know, very dark and kind of depressing and not depressing, but just like unique, right? Like every lyric in that song is and like also just starts out slow and sort of crescendos. She lives with a broken mind A crackpot, a styrene man Who just cried Right, VHS collection, James, Nils, Connor, 
so great having the three of you here today to talk about your new record, Night Drive. It's out now. Congrats on the release. What's next for the band now that the record's out? You got some tour dates lined up, hitting some festivals. What's on the agenda for the rest of the year? Well, we're going to book, book out some shows and play this record live, which is going to be awesome. So hopefully you see us in a city in a city near you. Um, and uh, yeah, man, then just right, right back, hitting the pavement, working on the next tunes and, and keep doing what we do. Uh, we're happy with how the record came out. We want to do it on a, you know, keep doing it on a bigger scale, play some shows, etc. So really pumped your, uh, you and, and everyone liking the album. Hell Thank yeah. You Have you played these songs live yet or? No. No. So yeah, you must be really excited them. to get them in front of an audience and learn, <laughs> and learn how to play. There's no like yet. tabs on the internet for like learning the songs. So now we have to go back and figure out how to play everything, <laughs> what the chords are. Well, I know you're going to nail that. Well, thank you three so much. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. Before we go, we're going to hear one more song from Night Drive. We're going to hear the final track, which we talked about a little earlier. This is called The Party. Baby, you look so good 